5 again. And so if you would, out of respect of God's Word, would you stand with me as we read Ephesians 5? And we're going to begin in verse 15. I'm sorry, verse 18. Verse 18. The Bible says here in Ephesians 5, 18, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Then what's the next word in verse 22? The first word, want to read it? Wives. wives. Now, I'm not just picking on the wives, <laughs> uh, but you see wives. And then... Um, uh, then look at verse 25. What's the first word? Husbands. And then, of course, down in chapter 6 and verse 1, the first word is children. So here we have the truths of the Spirit-filled life being filled with the Spirit, and then immediately he goes in to the family. Um, to really have the family that we ought to have, we need to be experiencing revival and revival should affect us in the most practical sense of being filled with the spirit and helping us in our homes and in our relationships so let's pray and ask the lord to help us father we commit ourselves to you i do ask that you'd help the truth of the spirit-filled life to make sense that this would just come together exactly how you'd have it and make it very obvious and very clear that you're in this i pray this in jesus name amen thank you for standing you may be seated some uh, years ago, quite a few years ago, my wife and I were taking a deaf young man back uh, from the Bill Rice Ranch to the bus station. He had ridden the bus to uh, come to a free week at camp there at the Bill Rice Ranch in Tennessee. And the deaf have always come free of charge to the Bill Rice Ranch. And so the week was over and we were giving him a ride back to the bus station. And then from there, he's gonna ride the bus back home. Well, it was late at night, um, it just was getting dark right when we were approaching the bus station. And the bus station is in the part of town that you just don't go to hang out to meet new friends at night. <laughs> you just don't go there at night, uh, typically. And so I was a little nervous about the whole situation. And so instead of pulling in where I had to back out of a parking spot, I, I pulled into the parking lot and then I backed in. So I was just ready to go, you know? And uh, I did that tonight too, so just in case. Um, <laughs> And uh, so I'm, re I'm just ready to go, and we get there, and the bus isn't there. And we still have to wait. It's dark now, and there's a car or two there waiting for the last bus. And, and then I notice maybe one or two people kind of milling around. And then there's one gentleman, and he's sitting on the bus station steps. His elbows are resting on his knees, and he's wearing, like, the camouflage fatigues. And he wasn't really clean-shaven. It wasn't beard. It was just that rough in-between stage. <laughs> Uh, and uh, so I, I noticed him, and he stood up, and then I noticed he started walking, and he started walking towards uh, our car. Then I really, he really had my attention, and, uh, and he started walking towards my window. Well, it was a comfortable evening, so I had my window rolled down, and he walks right up to me, and he goes, hey, have you seen a guy named, now he talked a little strange, but at least he talked at a normal volume, until... He got to the guy's name, and then he yelled it, literally yelled it out. He goes, hey, have you seen the guy named Roy? And when he said Roy, I jumped, you know. I was already on edge, you know. Oh, no, I haven't seen Roy. I don't want to probably want to see Roy. I don't, don't know Roy. And I said, he goes, hey, man, hey, that's cool. I said, good. 
And then he said, hey, my name's John, and I'm from, and he did it again. Normal volume, a little strange, but normal volume. And when he got to the place where he's from, he just yelled it out. My name's John, and I'm from Chicago. And I said, Chicago is a great place to drive through, fly over, uh, you know, trying to say something nice about Chicago. And, uh, and uh, he's just talking. To, all of a sudden, he's just talking to me, and he just, he backs up. He looks at the car that I'm in. He goes, pretty ride. What was I in? A, a Ford Mustang GT candy apple red convertible? No. How about a Stingray Corvette, bright yellow? <laughs> no. You can, you know, those are my wish list, by the way. And uh, no, I was in a 1994 Ford Escort. <laughs> I don't know if it was a plastic feature that caught his eye. I don't know what it was. And he goes, hey, pretty ride. And it's so funny. I'm actually in a Ford Escort right now. <laughs> and and uh, he goes, pretty ride, you know. And uh, he goes, hey, man, does it have four-wheel drive? I said, no. <laughs> I said, it has four cylinders, and I don't think all of those are even working. And uh, so, no, it, it doesn't have four-wheel drive. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, John's talking to me, John from Chicago, and, and, uh, and uh, um, then just like mid-sentence, like he's in conversation, and then he just leaves. I guess he remembered, I got to find Roy. <laughs> and so he walks around the front of the car, he goes to the next car, and he visits them, <laughs> and, uh, for which I'm thankful. And uh, so the deaf young man was in the back seat, and the whole time, of course, he couldn't hear what's going on, so he asked, you know, what, what happened, or what did, the man, what did the man say? I don't know a lot of sign language, and I certainly cannot interpret, but I was able to wrap up the entire conversation with one sign. <laughs> and uh, that pretty much it. He goes, okay, I understand. And uh, so uh, he's just, uh, we're waiting there, and the bus still isn't there. Well, a few minutes go by, and I didn't have enough sense to have my window rolled up, and I get another visit from... John from Chicago. <laughs> and so he walks around the front of the car. This time he gets just inches away from my face and he breathes. And man, could I smell it. Oh, it was obvious. I could smell the alcohol on his breath. He was drunker than a skunk. He was intoxicated. He was staggering around and stammering in his speech. I would ask him a simple logical question that would require a simple logical answer. And he couldn't give it. I gave him a track that night. He said, John, when you sober up, would you read this? It'll tell you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. You know, it's amazing that this alcohol can affect us to do things we would not otherwise do. That's true. And in context, the Bible says, be not drunk with wine or in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, the the, the idea here of this verse isn't, okay, a little bit of wine is okay, a little bit of alcohol is okay, and don't be in excess. No, it's the whole contrast. Do not be drunk but uh, with the wine or the alcohol, but be filled with the Spirit. And just like someone who's intoxicated do things uh, and, and can do things that they normally do not do, the only way for us on the positive side to do the things that we ought to do supernaturally is to be filled with the Spirit. Otherwise, there is no other option. It says there, look at verse 18, and be not drunk with wine when it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And then let's notice there's no period. That's interesting. Um, where's the, the next period? Not in verse 19. 21, all the way down to verse 21. So that's one long sentence. And that's going to help us with a, a couple of things here tonight. What we're going to see is this. In order to have the family that we ought to have, each one of us need to be filled 
with the Spirit. And each young person, each son and daughter, each uh, husband, each wife here tonight can be filled with the Spirit. And you can leave this place uh, doing so. But not only being filled with the Spirit, but also knowing it. Because uh, one of the first questions I have is, how do you know if you're filled with the Spirit? How do you know if you're filled with the Spirit? Now, we, I pointed out that the punctuation was in a period there, and that's why. Because I want to answer that first question by showing us that the, the verses 19, 20, and 21 give some indication. It's not fully exhaustive. This is not completely what happens when we're filled with the Spirit. We can go to the book of Acts and see so much more, especially with the witnessing and powered uh, witnesses and such. Uh, but uh, here we're going to notice of, uh, words that end in ing. Verse 19, speaking and making, singing. Uh, verse 20, giving. Uh, verse 21, submitting. And each time you see one of these words ending in ing, it's going to be a result. It's going to be cause and effect of being filled with the Spirit. And here's the effect. Uh, we're going to have these things. So let's ask this. Uh, with your uh, just finding out, am I filled with the Spirit like I got to be? Look at verse 19. It says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. <clears throat> I put it this way. We're going to have a joyful heart that comes out in song. If we're going to be filled with the Spirit, one of the things is going to be a joyful heart that comes out in song. How do you know if you're filled with the Spirit? Well, Here's a joyful heart, and it comes out in a song, a song of praise to God, not a, a rock song, not a country song, not a worldly song, but a song that is uplifting our Savior, a song that's not self-focused, it's not feeding our flesh, but it is spirit-filled. Um, we're singing this song, we're making melody in our heart to the Lord. Again, here it is, the heart uh, for the home is uh, the dealing with our heart and our spirit is the most important thing. There should be this, this idea of the singing and the speaking uh, of these songs. And that's one of the reasons why we mentioned the, um, the music CDs and such on the table and replacing the wrong type of music with the right type of music. Uh, I had to do this very much so in my Christian walk. Uh, when I was a, a teenager and, and growing up, uh, I listened to the music that I shouldn't listen to. And, and for some of it, my parents didn't have the discernment to say, hey, at that point, you know, you shouldn't listen to this. They'd let me listen to certain things. And, and uh, I thought, well, you know, rock music, okay, that's bad. And I started, stopped listening to rock music. Then I started listening to Christian rock. And uh, let me ask, have you, um, uh, it's kind of like Christian beer. <laughs> you can't have it. Okay, folks, it's just not, uh, it's not exactly uh, what the Bible would have for us. It's not a, a anything of what this is. It was just still feeding the flesh. And then I realized, you know what, there's a difference with these hymns and these spiritual songs. Are your songs spirit-filled? And is there a joyfulness that comes out in this song? Um, if we had time, we could go through the book of Acts. But I, I remember the, the apostles when they uh, had cast out a demon out of a girl. And she was, um, really helped, she was being forced, really, to make money for someone else. And, and this other person uh, lost money because of this situation. And they said, hey, they're causing trouble. So it ended up, they, the apostles got thrown in jail. They were beaten. They were in stocks. And it's at midnight. Their feet and their hands are in stocks and locks and handcuffs. They've been beaten. It's not comfortable. They did not have color TVs. They did not have a workout uh, you know, uh, place uh, there and all of this. You know what? They um, had it bad. And at midnight, what did all the other prisoners hear? They, saw, they heard singing. 
This singing comes from a heart of joy uh, that's supernatural by the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's not a shallowness of just happiness. Um, instead of just a babbling brook that's just kind of shallow, there's rivers that are slow moving, but they're deep. <laughs> the rocks and such are way down there because they have some depth. Do you have some depth there where if you're going through some suffering or difficulty or bad things, you can have joyfulness and a heart of joy that brings out and comes out in song. Not only are we if we're trying to figure out if we're filled with the Spirit, let's understand this. Look at verse 20. Do we have a thankful heart? Not only a joyful heart that comes out in song, a thankful heart that comes out in, in certainly uh, gratefulness. Uh, verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you think, you read this verse real quickly, it'll say, oh yeah, it's talking about giving thanks, but let it sink in. And the reality of this, this is the word of God speaking to us, and it's a command. And it says, giving thanks, go ahead and say the next word, when? Always. For what things? All things. Unto God and the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I call this impossible thanks. There's no way we can give thanks always for all things. Um, I'm so thankful for this person that just cut me off on the road. <laughs> I'm so thankful for uh, this uh, particular situation and this person at work that treats me this way. You know, naturally, we can't do it. But what we're talking about tonight is supernatural. Is by being filled with the Spirit, having supernatural strength to be able to uh, truly have this thanksgiving. And this is going to be the opposite of complaining. Complaining and murmuring. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. All things? There it is again. <laughs> How can we do that? Well, Philippians 4.13, uh, we're pretty close, why don't you see that one? Philippians 4.13, what does it say? It says, I can do, what's the next two words? All things through Christ who has strengthened me. But look there at Philippians 4.13. In context, what is it talking about? It's talking about being content and being grateful. Verse 12 says, I know both how to be a base and how I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Verse 11, I've, I've, sorry, I skipped that. It says, I've learned whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. We need to recognize we need to be content. We need to certainly recognize that we cannot complain and be filled with the Holy Spirit at the same time. That simple truth was life-changing for me. <laughs> I grew up in a family of complainers, but we didn't call it complaining. We called it constructive criticism. Because if they at the church did that, then it would be a lot better. <laughs> and they did this and they did that. Uh, and there was always somebody else, you know. And, but complaining is saying anything in a negative way where the person to whom you speak can do nothing to change the situation. But you cannot complain and be filled with the Spirit at the same time. You know what totally changed your perspective is being grateful. Saying, Lord, I am thankful for my spouse. I'm thankful for my children. I'm thankful for our house. This almost sounds like a Dr. Seuss. <laughs> I did not mean that. <laughs> and, and I'm thankful for, I'm not going to continue where I mean. <laughs> I'm thankful for these things 
um, that I already have. You know what contentment is? It's really wanting what you already have. You want a lot of stuff you don't have. But contentment is just wanting what you already have. Man, it'd be so much better if, I'd be happier if, well, if we had more money, if we had the room addition, if we had that nicer car. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Contentment and this thankfulness comes from being filled with the Spirit. Are you filled with the Spirit tonight? Would you recognize that that needs to take place in your heart, in your life, and even right now? Not only do we see a, 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 a joyful heart that comes out in song, a, thanks, thanks, a thankful heart that comes out in, uh, in gratefulness, but we see a submissive heart that comes out in the family. Look, if you would, back in chapter 5 of Ephesians 5, it says, uh, uh, it says 5, verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Immediately it goes into the wives submitting. Husbands, do they submit? Not in the same capacity, but there is a submission and a yielding together. Submitting yourselves. If there is a, a heart of, you can't tell me what to do, then you're not filled with the Spirit. Um, ain't nobody's going to um, uh, tell me uh, how to live my life, or I'm not going to do that. I'm my own man. I'm the king of the castle. That idea and that whole attitude, uh, yes, you are the leader, but you're not more important. But that whole attitude with that is really not from the Lord. You, uh, a gracious man is going to submit to God, and as he does so, he's going to lead his family in a gracious way. Not a uh, not one that just is barking commands and uh, trying to force, but recognizing his delegated authority and simply as he's submitting to the Lord, he can then lead his family in the right way. Wives need to submit. Children need to submit. Submission is absolutely key for the family relationship. Um, this idea of submission and uh, again, you know, the husband and wife working together and and such, well, if the husband is the head, does that mean that he is the only, well, is he the only one that's always right? Well, no, obviously not. But he's the one that is the leader. He is the one that when it comes down to it, he has to make the final decision or he can delegate that final decision. We talked about a little bit about finances yesterday and Sunday morning. We were a little silly about what if your husband said we need to invest in snails? <laughs> okay, that's a bad investment. All right, but uh, there should be a yieldingness and working together. But is it right or is it okay for the husband to ever just say, hey, you know what? I'm not good with the checkbook. I'm not good with the bu uh, budget. You take care of that. I don't even want to do it. Yeah, absolutely, certainly. As he say, hey, you take care of this part. I'll take care of that part. And just check with me if you have any questions. Yeah, definitely. So sure, there should be a submission and uh, working together with these things. Think of it this way, of this submission with the husband and the wife working together as a unit. If I'm driving down the interstate and I'm in the right lane, and uh, for me, uh, I take up a lot of the right lane. <laughs> uh, I'm in a, I, I, we drive a semi-tractor, a semi-truck, and we pull a 49-foot trailer. And it's huge, it's massive. I'm like a train going down the road. And uh, so I'm in the right lane typically a lot of the time. And then let's imagine there's an on-ramp and a car is coming on. And there's nobody in the left lane. But the timing of him is either he's going to have to speed up right away or if he's going to have to slow down a whole bunch because I'm just this huge train that's going down the road. 
Now, I could just say, hey, buddy, you get on <laughs> at your own uh, time. I'm just going along here. I don't want to be bothered. Or I could turn on the signal, check, make sure, and I don't think anybody's coming to the left lane, and then just move on over. Now, according to an officer, one particular time when there was an accident with one of our family members, uh, you know, he's trying to figure out, he referred to it this way. He says, okay, that guy, he owned the lane. So he was there, and you came over and crossed the line. So I own that right lane. I have every right to stay in that right lane and say, no. But wouldn't it be so much better and so much <laughs> nicer if I were just to turn on the signal and just to move on over? If I'm not compromising, I'm not going the wrong way, I'm not doing anything else, why don't I just give some space and some room and so we can be able to continue and yield. That's the idea, is submitting yourselves in this way one to another. So, so some of these things are an, um, a way for us to be able to know how to be filled, or that is, when we're filled with the Spirit. Do you have this joyful heart? Do you have this uh, thankful heart? Do you have this submissive heart that comes out in the family? But what is taking place? Can I ask this? What is taking place when we're filled with the Spirit? There is a boldness. There is a power and enabling. Um, there is a strength. There is accessing, I believe, God's grace at that time. But one of the things that's taking place that this truth is absolutely radically changed by Christian life is when we are filled with the Spirit, then the Spirit of God is living out the very life of Jesus Christ in us. And I want us to see this from chapter 3. Look at Ephesians chapter 3 and find, if you will, verse 14. It says this in Ephesians 3 and verse 14, it says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Just stop right there. So, so far he's praying, dear God, by your riches, Heavenly Father, would you grant this request? By the Holy Spirit who's on the inside, who gives me strength in the inner man. Okay, and here's what's going to happen as a result. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. What's that mean? He is not saying, you know, if someone may say to a child, okay, you need, to, you need to be saved, ask Jesus into your heart. That is not what they're saying. The Bible uh, describes the decision of salvation as believing on Jesus Christ. I don't think it's intrinsically wrong for someone to say, ask Jesus in the heart, but if they are, need to, they really do need to explain the matter of salvation is a decision of faith, believing on Jesus Christ. But that's not what he's talking about. He is writing to the believers. He's writing to the church, to those that are already saved. Once you're saved, can you get any more saveder? That's Tennessean, by the way. <laughs> you can't. Once you're saved, you're as saved as saved can be. You don't get saved again. So when it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith is the idea of Christ now living in us. And how is that possible? through the person of the indwelling Spirit of God. Now, the Holy Spirit, uh, when he was introduced in John chapter 14 uh, the, to the disciples by the Lord Jesus, he was described as the comforter. And Jesus says, 
uh, I will not leave you comfortless. And he's saying that the Holy Spirit's going to come. But the next phrase, he doesn't say he will come to you. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Isn't that interesting? And then later on, he says, I am the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in you. That's just not poetic, folks. That is absolutely real. When you are abiding and, uh, in Christ and being filled with the Spirit, then it is his very life that is coursing through you. <laughs> just like the, the, um, the, the sap that's going through the vine and down to the branches and to the leaves, giving it life and health and strength. We need to see very clearly it's Christ in us by the Spirit of God. Let's see another passage, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And verse 10 and 11. Romans chapter 8, find verse 10 and 11. The Bible says here in, in Romans 10, um, verse uh, Romans 8, verse 10 and 11, it says, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken. That's the same idea of raising up from the dead, is making alive. Your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. He's saying, look, if... If the Holy Spirit helped the Lord Jesus and raised him up from the dead, and he is in you, then the same Holy Spirit that gave him life is going to give you life. Now, he's not giving you life back physically. You already have that physical life. What's it talking about? Spiritually. Spiritually, the life of Christ. For to me, to live is Christ. It's not to me to to try to live for Christ. No, 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 no. And that does not say that. For me to live is Christ. Um, the whole mentality of us, I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to try to have agape love as a husband. I will try to do what's right. I will stop sinning. I will uh, get rid of this bad habit. I will try this stronghold. I'm going to make a New Year's resolution and then uh, stop by February 15th. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to do all of these things. You know, how's that work for you? You know, it sounds almost like if someone, if I talk to someone and say, hey, have, have you, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to heaven. Well, how do you know? Well, I, I just do a lot of things for God. I go to church. I've been baptized, you know, and I, I give, I give money, and I help people and, that are less fortunate. I'm, I'm honest. I do a lot of things for God. I help the community. Okay, now, from that wording would you say the person would be saved or unsaved? Unsaved. Because the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Folks, one of the biggest things we have to describe to the unsaved is it's not you trying but you trust Jesus Christ. One of the biggest things I have to really describe and uh, help us with the matter of revival among Christians is it's not you doing it. It's not you doing these things for God and trying harder. 
It's you trusting and depending upon Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God that's in you to be able to do so. This, this uh, abiding in Christ is this matter of simple uh, dependence. Andrew Murray put it this way, a deep restfulness. That I'm depending upon the Spirit of God that's in me to do what I cannot. How does this take place? We said, okay, how do we know if we're filled with the Spirit? We see a joyful heart and a grateful heart, a submissive heart. But what takes place when we're filled with the Spirit? Well, there's so much that's taking place. But one of the spiritual dynamics is this, is he's, the Spirit of God is living out the life of Jesus Christ in us. And we're going to see how that takes place and then what practical implications it has. How do we do so? Well, in our text in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, it doesn't say, fill yourself with the Spirit. It says, be filled with the Spirit. So it's passive in language. Um, I used to use the illustration of like a water bottle. And, uh, and I would say, well, you take a drink of your water bottle, and then you need to be filled with the water bottle needs to be filled. So you offer your, your water bottle or your cup or whatever to be filled again. I think it's an okay illustration. Um, there's some limitations with it, but that's good to kind of get us thinking. Okay, we just offer ourselves as an empty vessel to be filled. Um, what is that? It's, well, let me ask, what is it not? <laughs> How do you not be filled with the Spirit? What does Ephesians 4.30 say? And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you're sealed, sealed in the day of redemption. Is you don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Okay. Well, how would you grieve the Holy Spirit? By sin in your life. Selfishness. Not yielding, certainly. But certainly that sin would grieve the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Quench not the Spirit. In context, right before that, it says, Despise not prophesying. That is, prophesying isn't always, you know, the foretelling, you've got a prophet foretelling the future, but prophesying is a general term in that context, in that word of just preaching. So it includes all types of preaching. Here's the word of God. This is what it says. Don't despise it. Don't just say, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, just half-heartedly listen. But when you listen to the word of God and you do not apply it, when you listen to here's how they can help your family, here's how to be filled with the Spirit, here's how to really change and have the life of Christ in us, okay, and you don't apply it, then what's happening is we're quenching the Holy Spirit. We're not listening to the Holy Spirit of God. We're not doing what He would have for us to do. And we are certainly uh, and definitely uh, in need of being filled with the Spirit. So we don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with sin. We don't quench the Holy Spirit of God by um, quenching his conviction and, and not listening to him when he's speaking to us. But how, do we, how are we filled with the Spirit? You yield. You surrender. I believe it, it really will be a surrender faith decision, surrender and dependence, yielding and depending upon God. But here is my vessel. Would you fill me? Lord, I yield myself to you. How much of your day were you yielded to God? How much of your day were you filled with the Spirit? Now, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit's with you all day long. That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He will never leave you nor forsake you. But that does not mean He was enabling you, empowering you. You were experiencing grace or the very life of Jesus Christ in you through the Spirit of God because you had 
consciously yielded to him. There is no way that you just automatically are filled with the Spirit. Um, you're, when you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you're automatically indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's inside of you. But if I just get up in the morning, I even maybe pray. I may read my Bible. That doesn't mean I've made the decision to yield to the Spirit of God. It doesn't mean my will's been broken and I come to the end of myself. And I depend upon him. I say, dear God, this isn't my body. This isn't my day. This isn't my agenda. Lord, I'm yielding to you. If I don't do that, then what's the default setting? The default setting is Chris Miller and it's self and it's soulish and it's fleshly and it's not what God intended. The idea is certainly and truly this is we need to be filled with the spirit and the only way for us to be filled with the spirit is to yield and surrender to him. What difference would that make in your family? When the dad is submissive. Dad's going to do what's right. Dad's going to listen to the Spirit of God. Dad's sensitive as he leads our family. Mom, oh, wife and mom, she's, she's going to listen. If dad says, hey, this is what we really need to do. This is going to be best for the family. She'll do it. She'll follow children. Oh, yeah, they're going to obey. And teenagers, they're going to recognize, I need to be filled with the Spirit as well, not just mom and dad, not just the pastor, not just in the, a preacher someplace, but it's for me. Would you see tonight that each one of us, our families and our homes would be incredibly impacted because if it's Christ in us, <laughs> he was always submissive. He was always humble. He was always a servant. I mean, have that mentality, that heart, that spirit in your family, in your household. Wouldn't it be so refreshing? It would be reviving. It's a matter of yielding. I remember... Um, story I read of D.L. Moody, and uh, he was an evangelist of years gone by, and he was getting ready to have an airy white crusade. He, before he got there, though, the pastors were meeting together, and one pastor did not like D.L. Moody. And he stood up in the meeting and said, why do we have to have D.L. Moody anyway? Is it as if he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? In other words, he's the only one that can be filled with the Spirit. He's the only one that can preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. Is it as if he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, he asked? Well, you could hear a pin drop. Slowly, a wise pastor stood to his feet and said, no, we're not having D.L. Moody because it seems like he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit. But we're having D.L. Moody because it seems as if the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on him. He's fully, completely yielded to the Holy Spirit. Uh, when I was at the Bill Rice Ranch years ago, I got on a horse, and I, um, it's actually kind of a rare experience, actually, for me. I'm not a cowboy, but I can get a horse to go right and left and, you know, stop and, you know, basic stuff like that. 
And, uh, and so I, I was on a horse, but I was on a horse named Rusty. And let me tell you, Rusty lived up to his name. <laughs> he was Rusty. He was slow. He just kind of went his own pace. And, you know, the other cowboys, you know, they'd bring their horses, and they'd just kind of get him going along, you know, kick him or whatever, and, and get him to speed up and, and catch up. They're line horses, so they're just supposed to follow the horse in front of him, you know, and, and that's it. But he would stop and eat grass, and he'd like, oh, I want to go this way. And, and, you know, I'd pull him over here, and I'm, I'm nicketing and kicking him. And, you know, he just was so hard to, to deal with, and I'm pulling. I'm, I mean, it, was just, it wasn't just easy. Uh, boy, he would just come right in the line, or easy, he would catch back up with the other horses, or no, it was just prodding and pulling and tugging and kicking and all this time. Well, there's times uh, at the ranch where the head cowboy will do an illustration for the kids. And he'll take the horse and he'll drop the reins. And with a voice command, he'll say, walk. And the horse begins to walk. He'll say, whoa. The horse will stop. He'll say, walk. The horse will walk, and through leg reining and through training, he'll even get the horse to weave in and out through cones without knocking them over and come to the end and say, ho, or whoa, and the horse will stop again. Why? Because the, the horse is so sensitive to the voice of the master. You realize this, that God's been speaking to you every single day. Of your life. You go through the Bible, Genesis. Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the eve with the voice of God. You go through the Word of God all the way through Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, God's been speaking. He's been telling you things. The question is have you been listening? And are you sensitive? Or are you like Rusty? Come on, get over here. No, come on, get back over in place here. No, come on, no, get up. No, you need to get this. No, I said to stop that. Don't turn that off. No, don't listen to that. No, you shouldn't have that in your life. No, that's a sin. Come on, get over here. Or is it the master speaks and you say, okay, Lord, yes, I will do it. I will be filled with the Spirit. 